good of a repeat. Might be worth it. Mm-hmm. In in the beginning of practice, when the teacher or the just the environment, for instance, just saying, "Okay, I'm going to go practice meditation," and we sit down. That sitting down is an anchor enough to get us into anapanasati, or we begin to think about the breath, or the teacher mentions it, or you're doing some sort of guided meditation, whatever the outside trigger is there. But then we're watching the breath, and now we catch the mind wandered away from the breath. And now we got to bring the breath back. It was really easy the first time. Either the teacher mentioned it or that's why we sit down. But now that we got to bring it back and, and we have to remember to bring it back and take the effort to bring it back because oftentimes we bring it, we, we catch it wandering away at such a delicious point in the story. Mm. Yeah. That we would rather the story go on than coming back and do what we were intentioning to do. Yeah not recognizing that maybe the end of the story is for whom the pell tolls is me, you know. But sometimes we catch the mind wandering away in the sweet spot of the story, and so we don't want to do it. We want to stay stuck in the old way. And so there is not the... We haven't developed yet what you would call a Dhamma cop, and many times I hope you don't. That Dhamma cop then would be part of the superego that says, come on back to the breath, you know, and just come and tell you to do it. You got to do it mm-hmm. just uh, as an internal mechanism, just like the, you got it from the teacher or the, um, the intention to sit down in meditation was enough force or an energy to turn you into watching the breath. Where is that force or effort going to come from? When you catch it on your own, especially when you catch it on your own over and over and over and over again. Because that's the whole point of sitting down is learning to catch the mind wandering away from the breath and bring it back. and Come back to a state of if you're developing it right, come back to a state of real joy and relaxation. So. And in fact, sometimes those stories are sweet, and we do need to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Um, We can go so far as to say that it's quite natural for us to have um, what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa would refer to as void mind. Now, when I say void mind, that doesn't mean completely empty, but it means empty of dukkha or in the way that we're expressing it, it's empty of a self. And we're just, in, actually in that moment, just joyriding, just enjoying our life, going along, everything is cool. And that um, most people, when they hear about uh, the teaching of the Buddha, Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, they get stuck on that Dukkha part in the sense that um, everything the Buddha teaches about suffering, which then gives us the attitude, oh, if we don't meditate, then that means that we're stuck into dukkha a lot of the time or all of the time or almost all of the time, where in fact that's probably not true. It may be, in fact, that you're okay 50 or 60 percent of the time. We're talking about the 40 percent of the time when we're in dukkha that we need to wake up and come out of. But here's the thing also. Most of us are so asleep 
And in fact, there's a really good reason to be asleep when we're actually not in dukkha. That we're still asleep because we don't know exactly what's going on, where we are or what is. We're just free of suffering in the sense that we have altruistic thoughts rather than selfish thoughts. That we have thoughts of doing good. We have thoughts of uh, helping other people. We have thoughts of friendship and joy. But we don't really appreciate those thoughts of friendship and joy because we're kind of asleep in it, just like we would be asleep in anger Mm -hmm. rather than being awake to it. So this is the quality of waking up. And so in this regard, we would say, wake up and see what you're doing. Rather than always wake up and say, aha, I see you, Myra, because in fact, there may not be any Myra there. You might think, okay, and we wake up and say, wow, this really is nice, isn't it? (laughs) There was a third noble truth sitting right on my lap, and I didn't know it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so this is also part of the quality of, of, of waking up. But in all cases, it has to do with the quality of when we wake up, we wake up to realize that right now is really nice. This is a really nice moment. Okay. That this one is good. This one's worth having and being satisfied with. Mm-hmm. But when we're in hindrance, and that basically is what we're saying is right now is not good enough. We got the past to fix, or we've got a future to plan, or uh, the mind's just all over the place, but it's not here. Have a restless mind, which is also a quality of boredom, that we're just not satisfied with how things are right now. Like kids on a car trip, you know, and they say, Mom, I'm bored, I'm bored. What does mom do? She gives them something to do to take them them out of the here now. Because for her and for the kids, both this here now is boring. She could play a game with it instead. A game in the here now. Like, do you see the red car? Who's got a blue car? You know, those kind of games. And that keeps them in, in the present moment. So... Um, we often are not in suffering, actually. We're actually quite okay, good life. If we did not have those states, we would really be miserable human beings. Yeah, that's true. And, and, And there are a few. There are humans that are just absolutely miserable either to themselves or to others almost all the time. They also, they don't live so long because they're miserable to their body. They give themselves aneurysms or heart attacks or indigestion or herpes or uh, prostate problems, or they'll find something to tear themselves apart. Mm. But when you've got no problems, you wind up kind of living into old age anyway. Yeah, I bet. So, um, we, we do take time on a natural basis to feel really good to have that altruistic open this this mind is okay kind of thing then Bhikkhu Buddhadasa says but then there are two other ways to have this void mind beside the natural way but both of these require one to wake up right okay one of these ways is through samadhi but not too much samadhi and the other one is through vipassana now, what he's pointing out is, is that there, it is possible through Vipassana only, without having to get into the jhanas, 
to be able to see yourself into void mind. Draw insight. Raw insight. But it is actually easier and better to do both of them at the same time, which is then referred to as the direct path. Right. To do both samatha and vipassana together at the same time, which is basically the way that Anapanasati Sutta is put together. And it's certainly the way that the Buddha specifies the path um, in Sutta number 48, in the sense that you have to get the mind fit for work, as Bhikkhu Buddhadasa would say, before you can actually figure out completely that the Eightfold Noble Path is, in fact, the path for you beyond any other that you've got it wired, you know for sure, you've been down the path enough, you've fallen down and gotten up and gone and fallen again, and now you're really, really sure of it. But that surety also requires that uh, wake, uh, attentive mind that's done the research. You actually know that you can see. And in that regard, you could say that, okay, in that way, Samatha, or jhana uh, is the foundation for vipassana very early on, as opposed to having to go up and up and up and up and up and up and up in the jhanas before you do any insight. But rather, a little bit of jhana and a whole lot of insight go a really long way. Okay. So that's the best way to do it. That's the best way, and this is the Buddhist path. It's quite specified that way. You can see the threads of it in the Anapanasati Sutta, but when you recognize it that in the Sutta, in the uh, what's the name of it, uh, Kosambian Sutta, the Kos- number forty-eight, which it really specifies the Vipassana and the Jhana working together. Is that MN forty-eight? Yes, in the Majjhima Nikaya. If it's out of the Majjhima Nikaya, I'll make point of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, this, this basic practice then, that first time that we begin to do it, and as we're, uh, learning how, there's going to be a natural resistance to continue to do whatever the mind was doing, even though we do wake up to it. Yep. You can think of that almost as if when you first wake up in the morning out of bed, you're really not ready to get out of bed yet. Mm. You're not up and at them. You're just, you just woke up. Okay. And people actually make that excuse sometimes on the telephone. They give me a minute. I got to, you know, I just woke up, which means I'm not yet woke up. So in that way, there's kind of a two-step process to it. One is to wake up enough to recognize, in this case, the mind has wandered away from the breath. But we need a little bit deeper wakening up than that. And that is to actually go back to the breath. That's where the effort comes in. We've actually got to take the effort to go back. But now we got to wait a minute. We can't work too hard because if we start working too hard at it, then that, then that's going to actually 
create agitation. We want to easily come back to the breath. We want this to be a really easy job. Yep. That that right effort is right only when it's minimal mm-hmm. amount of effort to get the job done. That I that I see that sometimes in movie plots, to where. Uh, an example of that, I was looking at Robinson Crusoe, a movie that they did probably uh, 1997 or something like that, Warner Brothers. And in one of the scenes, he used way too much gunpowder. And because of that, then the next time he needed gunpowder, he didn't have enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is basically what the mistake is, is that he was putting in too much effort, and in this case, the effort in the sense of the gunpowder. Yep. All right, so we need to make sure that we're keeping our powder dry and that we don't use too much of it, just enough, because this is a long haul. I noticed that it's a lot easier to do when I'm not formally meditating. When I'm off the cushion, I can quite effortlessly come out of thought as soon as I notice it. But when on the cushion, it's like, it's a whole different game. Who changed the rules of the game? Me. Why? Because, because of habit, because of conditioning, I suppose. Ah. And it's like... Yeah, somehow or another, uh, sitting meditation has been sold for something that it's not. It's almost there's a bait and switch in there someplace, and you're still trying to eat the bait. (laughs) (laughs) And the bait's gone, and and, uh, the switch is is that you you need to take the tension out of it or the wanting or the desire or hope for something in the future. Mm. That's basically why we work too hard is because we want something. Yeah. So, what do you want? Blissful states. Okay. Isn't the state you're in right now blissful enough? Yep. Okay. That's All quite, right. It's quite nice. Yeah, that's, that's it. We have to... Um, when we recognize how good things really are right now, we use the kind of superlatives then to try to match how we feel right now with these words then take on a magical quality for other people, like the word bliss, for instance, seems like it's out of sight where in fact, no, there sometimes are in bliss but it's still out of sight for them because they're not recognizing that they act in fact, are in a state of bliss. Yeah, I'm usually in, in bliss quite a lot of the time, um, even when I'm on the cushion. But I don't know, it's it's such a weird kind of habit because I still just feel like there's something to do. But I know there's the bliss because it's there and I can feel it all the time anyway. But I don't know, it's just... It, I think it's just, it's just it's a, a habit that needs to change. Okay, describe this habit. Let's talk about it. It's like... hmm, It's like there's... 
I sit down and I, I start meditating and it's, well, I'm already meditating before I sit down, but I sit down and then I, as soon as I've sat down, it's like, it's like now it's, it's a different thing that I'm doing. Um, something that's supposed to be more intense than the experience of the cushion, I suppose. And because of that, I'm not satisfied with the bliss that I have because I just want to, I think it's like I want to know that I can amplify it. Um, or I want to get into meditative states. It's like when I sit down, there's stuff that I need to be doing and if I don't do it, then there's all this tension, I think. Does the tension come from the doing all of this extra or is the tension, I'm, I'm not sure where the tension is coming from the way that you just said it. Because it seems to me that the warning of the bliss that you don't have is part of the tension. Yeah, I suppose it is. Um, that's part of it. And then because of that wanting, it's like, oh, I have to do it properly. And that makes me more focused. Um, that, that makes me have a kind of tighter focus on the breath and on the mind and that causes the tension I think okay so you're using words like in um, intense yeah and hyper hyper focus right that those are the kind of words that will in fact get you into or those are actually words that describe that you've already gotten yourself into working too hard. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Okay. Yep. Intention or intensity. Um, like there was, there was a book in the seventies that Wayne Dyer wrote and the name of it became quite a joke. I don't know if it ever made, um, number one bestseller list, but it certainly was making the joke circuit. And that, and the name of the book was, You Must Relax. What was it about? Well, I don't even know what the book was about, but here's the title of it, You Must Relax. And it may be that that's what kind of thing that you're doing to yourself. Yeah, I think so. Okay. That, that you, you're putting a pressure on yourself rather than thinking of the sitting down and, uh, and having the, the time of the sitting meditation as something very desirable and I really like just to get away from it all, especially in my mind. Now what you're doing is, oh, this is my opportunity to really get something. Let's get in there and work. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So we need to kind of change that attitude just a bit. That, that, that your sitting meditation is there for you to learn to enjoy because you're not going to be able to manufacture bliss out of hard work. Mm. Bliss comes from uh, enjoyment and then knowing that you enjoy it 
and then really know how well you enjoy it. And then it just it goes it 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 goes straight down like that. It's not that you've got to go up and up and up and up and up before you get down to the bliss. I don't understand that why people work that way, and but yet I do because that's how we've been taught to do everything in the West. Yep. Hard work. Uh, right. Good results are from hard work. Oh no, they're not. Good results are often from chasterism. Yeah. A fool and his money are soon parted. His hard-earned money is soon parted. So we have to understand that, no, there's got to be better ways to, of working than uh, through this hard work to get to get bliss. That, that in fact, um, bliss is nothing but really, really good satisfaction. Mm. And so we continue to have to work with this quality of satisfaction, which in the Pali, the word is sukha, or just get yourself into a pleasant state. A state of, yeah, this is nice, yeah, right. To wake up to recognize that you can be in void mind. You don't have to have a care in the world. Mm. You can just sit here and, and tell yourself how nice you feel. Rather than, and some people do this, tell themselves how nice they should feel. Yeah. Because then it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it's around half the time that I'm like that. And the other half, everything goes all right. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing in the relaxed half that I can do in the tense half um so i've been trying to notice that okay but here's the point is is that now we're beginning to wake up to this this is what this talk is about is, is that let's get that problem problem well seen well understood and well dealt with yep. so that we can get the, the mind back into a happy uh contented sukha rather than one that's hard won and hard fought because it's not really um, it seems like that the easy victories are the best ones, and yet somehow in our culture we've got un we've got the understanding. No, it's the big wins that we yeah. need. And um, in in the case of what we're doing here, no, it's it because we're learning actually how to live moment by moment for our full you are the rest of our lives we need to get over big events and start looking for just the next one just the next one how's this moment this mm. looks good yeah that's true this leads to a lot of doing uh this this really non-doing there's nothing much to do anymore we don't plan so much because we're satisfied the reason we do a whole lot of planning is to get rid of the dissatisfaction. But if we can spend your time directly just being satisfied, then yep. you don't have so much to do anymore. And so it's sort of like a little bit of work, this, this right effort. Uh, I've heard it used as a thorn to remove a thorn. Okay. Sure. That 
that in in some um, um, fable or something, there is a lion that has a thorn stuck in his paw that is so painful that he cannot do all of the things that a lion would do, that he's in poor health. Uh-huh. And the monkey comes by and makes friends with him and uh, takes a thorn and pulls around and pulls that other thorn out so that now the lion can recover. Uh-huh. Okay. And so we can think of it like uh, like that, that here we are. Uh, we could be um, a, a fully complete, uh, fully capable lion but we've got this um, thorn in, embedded in, in, say, a paw so that we, we limp around all the time. But if we can take this uh, new thorn, this Anapanasati, this new effort that we've got to do, it's the right easy effort to just keep tugging and pulling on that thorn and getting it out. And finally it, it comes on out. Oh. And so every time we notice that thorn, we say, out, let's pull, let's pull on it a little bit. Yeah. And so we take that little bit of effort to keep tugging on that thorn, and pretty soon it comes out. Now, in this case, with this kind of metaphor, actually, every time we pull on it, the thorn actually does come out, but somehow it gets back in there. Mm-hmm. And so we have to, uh, in order to get that... Um, uh, analogy to work correctly we got to add a little bit of magic touch to it but the reality is is that any time that we can remember to pull that thorn out we can and then we're fully human and then somehow we forget and pop it goes back in yeah that part yeah that's exactly what happens so our job is just to keep seeing it keep noticing and keep pulling it out yeah I'm back to a state of uh, hunky-dory and everything is cool and we don't need to have some super high bliss. But rather to be uh, mindful enough to see this present moment is quite nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's... um, It's uh, the hindrances just getting in the way of that. And when they do, that's why I need more. And part of that hindrance is not taking the right effort that it takes to throw that stuff out and come back into a mind of homeostasis, of equilibrium, of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And that attitude of being a winner. Yeah. So it needs to be practiced over and over again. So next time you sit down, sit down with the idea, oh, while I'm sitting here, I'm going to actually practice for a, a long, intent re- way, the same way that I'm doing it off the couch or off the cushion, that I'm not going to start working so hard at this, that I'm just going to be naturally happy with what happens. Yeah. Yeah. That way you can look forward to, wow, it really feels nice to just sit and do nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it does. Do you have any other questions now? I think that we've got this one pretty well 
this mold waxed down pretty good. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying it out. Um, yeah, one more thing, actually. Um, so, um, you know about Kula Dasa? I know I mean, of Kula Dasa. I don't know I mean, all his, about that. I've heard... His technique. Um, I don't know much about his technique. Technique. I know more about red lights than techniques. All right. Well, I used oh, to. Oh, wait a minute. The book, the uh, the mind illuminated. Yes, I know a little bit about it. Not very much. I okay. tend to know that students will get stuck on I'm at this point or I'm at this stage or things like that. It's a very um, competition oriented sort of uh, uh, way that people tend to use that book. Yeah, and um, that's one of the reasons why I stopped doing his, um, his uh, teachings. Um, I, I practiced with that book for a number of years, um, and I just found that it wasn't really, um, it was just a bit too much. Um, but one thing that always, that I notice quite a lot these days um, is what he calls subtle dullness. And it's, um, I think it's, it's the hindrance of um, sloth and torpor. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not, I'm not sleepy, I'm not drowsy, but I do, I do feel, I do have nice feelings, but it's not like an energetic nice feeling. And then if there's a sudden sound outside or something, then I will get a bit of a startle. Okay. Not like body shaking, but I'll just feel a little bit of adrenaline. The question would be then, what kind of breathing are you doing when your mind is dull? So I was thinking about this. Um, I've been thinking about this over the last few days, and I noticed um, usually I'm not breathing very deeply, but then even when I do notice that and then I start breathing deeply, I notice that it even if I do that for quite a while, I notice that sometimes there is still a very slight startle response. And I don't know if that's normal or if that's not. Well, um, the way that you said it was is that by doing deep breathing that you were actually able to remove quite a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, it was. But, but you're still being greedy for getting rid of it all. I thought that's what you were supposed to do. No, you're supposed to be satisfied. Uh-huh. Okay. <clears throat> no, the kind of the goal here is that stukha, pity, unified mind kind of situation that's described in the uh, Anapanasati Sutta. Or at least the way that I read the Anapanasati Sutta, I can see that in there as well as other indications. So, uh, for some reason, Westerners are perfectionist. Yeah. Um, I can see that in systems where they teach it in the sense of Sila Samati Panya, that the young monks have to become perfect before they get a chance to do any Samati practice. Yeah. But... 
But the real thing that's going on is is that if you can get a kid to sit down in the uh, uh, the Dhamma Hall and keep his mouth shut, close his eyes, and just sit there, he's already naturally in samadhi at that particular point in time already. I'm not samadhi, but he's in sila. Mm -hmm. He's not hurting anybody, not stealing anything, not running around, hooping and hollering, not doing anything, just sitting there on the floor. That's adequate sila for our uses, our purposes. Okay. But when people go crazy with it they think oh no he's got to be perfect for all of this time before we can do any samadhi and then he's got to do samadhi all of this time before he gets to the next step which would be panya except that no if you can get the kid to sit down what's panya then that's panya is wisdom or panya is uh, sila samadhi panya that's the way that uh, the path is generally laid out is uh, right noble view or ditti Samaditi is also used as, as panya. Panya uh, and ditti are um, interchangeable words. Normally the word panya is used for wisdom, the ability to see what's going on, to connect the dots and make a pretty picture out of it. Mm -hmm. Or to um, another way of looking at what is wisdom or what is panya is being able to look at which way a gun is pointed. If a gun at any particular time goes off, where will the bullet go? And you should have enough wisdom to know that you want to stand out of the way of someone waving a gun around. Yep. Yeah. All right. That's the kind of wisdom, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Is watch which way the gun is pointed. Well, guess what? <laughs> That's dukkha, too. So you got to kind of watch which way the dukkha is pointed. Mm. Is it coming or going? Is it heading down on us or what? You know, so this is basically panya. Um, but it is deeply involved with one's right view. Because right, uh, think of it, in fact, in English, we often see things from a point of view. Like a camera sees what it sees from the position the camera is in. Yeah. Where noble right view is the ability to move the camera's position around so you can take very and see things from a variety of different viewpoints. So not just from the perspective of me. Well, not from the perspective of me, but from other people's perspective. Literally to put your feet in somebody else's shoes or walk a mile in my shoes or put yourself in their place or whatever like that. Yeah. This is what right view is all about, but it really has the quality of looking, of investigating, intentionally noticing things, okay? Which basically means, or boils down to, begin to figure out which guns are loaded and pointed in which directions. Mm -hmm. And that's wisdom, then, is to recognize all the guns in the room and where every one of them is pointed. So... Um, A lot of people have the idea that, oh, you've got to get to Sila first before you get to Samadhi. And then you have to work a long time before the Samadhi, before you get to Panya. But in fact, that's not necessarily the case. As soon as the kid sits down, he's already got his Sila worked out. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you take the first deep breath of Samadhi, 
and settles the mind down so we can see what's going on, he's already in the state of Pontianic like that. What? Five seconds. The question is, can he keep coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back? The first time, easy enough. But can we keep coming back to that state of looking at what we're doing to keep noticing that, hey, things are right now, hunky-dory. There's nothing wrong with anything right now. Why am I hassled about anything? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I notice that when I do feel that way, when I don't really have a care in the world, that it goes so much better. But then I think... I think the reason is because when it's not going as well, then I think, oh, wait, I need to get back to not caring. All right. Eventually, you'll begin to see how you got from not a care in the world to the first care that came up and then another. And then now you're overloaded. <laughs> it just slips in. And then you, it the slips in. Exactly. It just slips in the back of the mind. And this is what Wakey Wakey is all about, is to catch the people coming, slipping in the back. Not people, but ideas, cares, worries, everything like that. To be on guard to keep the mind in that state of sukha. Yeah, I think I let the, I let the guard down when, when it's going really well. Then it's like, oh, great, awesome, this is so nice. And then, like... Um, it slips in through the back and then I know uh, I realize oh wait I wasn't um, I let my guard down and this is why it's happened I got too um, I got too relaxed I got too lazy uh-huh it's 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 almost like the in the mental picture is is that um, for whatever past that there was, we begin to feel really good right now, whippy. And so we open the doors, we invite everybody in and say, party time, you know, yeah. and then they come. <laughs> Wait a minute, I don't want everybody in here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just the people who come to party, not the thieves. Thank you. You can yeah. stay out. <laughs> Anything that's going to rob us of our having our party, we don't want inside. We only want to let the kind of, and so uh, more to the point, we only want to let the thoughts inside that are going to keep the party going. Yeah, exactly. And not and not let the uh, the cares of the world come in. And so this and this is also a skill to be developed. And so you can begin to practice this quality too of keeping it keeping it cool. Only allow good wholesome thoughts in. Yeah. And we've already talked about this, I know, but uh, we can come back and because this is basically the practice over and over and over again. That my job is to remind you of this simple practice that, that we're doing. Yeah. It's all about and remembering. It, yeah, it's all about sati. Another way of saying it, and I see my job as a, as a cheerleader. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You can do it. Yeah, that's what I do. I, I, you, you know the steps. Let's keep going over the steps over and over again. And I know you can do it. Yeah, it's um, it's almost like um, what I what I remember myself. You're you're essentially doing the same thing. So now when you find that not, that brown, it, you say, wait a minute, I, <laughs> I know that one. Mm. 
You take your glasses off and give yourself a rub and say, well, I'm glad I saw all of that stuff, how it goes, yep. including the effort that it takes. Yeah. Going to try that out. Okay. Well, we'll see you. Yeah. See you in a Thank couple you. of days. It's been a nice chat. I really enjoyed it, Janet. Good. Yeah, me too. Thank you. See you. Bye.